Well, good morning and happy new year to you. Welcome to Redemption Arcadia. So glad that you're here with us. Would you stand? We're going to begin the year worshiping the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your presence here with us, that you truly are God with us. Thank you for this new year, and I pray your blessing on it for your people, that you be glorified in us, your church, and Lord, that we would continue to worship you with one voice, with one faith, with one spirit, one baptism. God, that you be glorified in us. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. that I face stronger than the power of the grave He's constant in the trial and the change One thing remains I'll sing it again In higher than the mountains that I face Stronger than the power of the grave And constant in the trial and the change One thing remains One thing remains Your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love and on and on and on and on it goes satisfies my soul and I never ever have to be afraid cause one thing remains your love never fails it never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails it never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love in death in life i'm confident and covered by the power of your great death is pain there's nothing that can separate my heart from your great love your love your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me your love never fails and never gives up never runs out on me, your love. 
sing it one more time. Your love. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Your love All this pain I wonder if I'll ever find my way I wonder if my life could really change at all All this earth Could all that is lost ever be could a garden come up from this ground at all? You make beautiful things, you make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of us all around hope is springing up from this old ground out of chaos life is being found in you you make beautiful things you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of the dust you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of us. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. me
sing it again. You make.
2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Aaron. Good morning, Redemption. How y'all doing today? Happy New Year. I got two thumbs up. Okay, cool. Oh, more now. Okay. Shamed you into the thumbs up. That's awesome. All right, so uh, my name is Frank. If you're new here, we are glad that you are here. Uh, We are Redemption Church. If you're not familiar with Redemption Church, Redemption Church is one church in Arizona with 10 congregations. We are gospel-centered and outward-focused, and we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. And one of the things that uh, we've been doing... By the way, my name is Frank. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Arcadia. Um, And ordinarily, we work our way through books of the Bible. We're currently in the book of John, and we'll start that up again next week. But the first Sunday of the year, the last four or five years, I can't remember how often we've done this, we've kind of taken up a new uh, pattern or routine. Some might say a rut, but that's okay. We'll get past that. Um, where we, we take a look back at the previous year, 2020, and then we take a look forward at the next year, 2021, using a grid that I did not write, but one of our founding pastors, Tom Schrader, uh, wrote, and I'll explain more about that as we get into it. We're going to do that again this year. Tom used to call it past year, present year, and many of you have probably been through that with uh, Schrader, and as well as being a part of Redemption Arcadia. Uh, the other thing that we do on the first Sunday of the year is we give you a little financial update with as uh, uh, recent uh, audited figures as we, can, as we can give. And so if we put that slide up, I'll try to unpack that a little bit for you to tell you where we are um, as of the end of November. So our full year budget for income of 2020 was $1,130,000. Our income through November, these are audited figures now, uh, our income was uh, $1,087,000. For the first 11 months, we were budgeted for $1,036,000, so we were over uh, the budget. And then this, is, this one's pretty significant, and I'll talk a little bit about it. Our expenses through November are 907000 We were budgeted to spend $1,032,000. And uh, let me just tell you what happened. Some of you probably have got this figured out, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, on March 15th, when the lockdown really hit, um, our operations manager, <laughs> Stephanie Shoemate, without any prodding from anybody, uh, and assisted by uh, Tyler James, who is now our executive pastor and has been our family pastor, they immediately went to work looking all over this campus on ways that we could cut expenses um, for the reason being that we didn't know what was coming. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know uh, what was going to happen to the economy. But, you know, you, you hope for the best but plan for the worst is essentially what you do. And they were so on top of it that when I finally got the email from Neil Pitchell, who's the executive pastor over all 10 redemption churches, with a detailed analysis of each congregation where they should be looking to save money, um, I was able to email him back and said, dude, we've already done it. And he was quite impressed with Stephanie and, and Tyler being on top of that. And so um, they jumped on it very quickly. 
even to the extent where they figured out that we were having trash picked up twice a week and they pushed that back to once a week, which saved us money just on trash collection because obviously we weren't going to produce as much trash as we were uh, in the past. So just thinking about things, that was really helpful. Here's the downside of that, though. In churches, if you're spending less money, it means that you're doing less community, relational, and outreach things. That's just what it means. And, you know, our outreach, not a lot that you can do uh, in the midst of a pandemic. We, we want to do things, but we're being told by people, well, you can't come in, you can't do that, you can't do this. We did have the drive-through. Some of you participated in the drive-through drive for... Um, uh, the Women's Hope Center in Phoenix, which was really good, but that's a way different event than we normally have. Uh, coming up, uh, we have our 10-year anniversary as Redemption Church this next Sunday. Not going to be able to do a whole lot for that. The following Sunday is usually Marathon Sunday, where we're closed in the morning, and we have the one service in the afternoon, and then the big church picnic in the afternoon. We're not going to be able to do that. So obviously, we save money on that, but the downside is that we're not together. And that's a problem. And, and I think that one of the things we've learned through the pandemic is the importance of in-person relationships and community. And so we're looking forward to a time when we can actually start spending more money on uh, things like outreach community and in-person relationships. And so that would be the downside. Um, if you, again, if you do the math, you look at uh, how much income we had through November um, and what our budget was, our budget through November means that in uh, December, we are budgeted for an income of 94000 These are unaudited December figures, but as I've looked at the deposits that are coming in, we are some, and have come in now at the end of the year, we are somewhere north of 125000 for December. So we had a very good year uh, in 2020. Um, and we're going to obviously have a, a pretty decent um, uh, surplus. Uh, one of the things that we are going to have to probably spend some, some of that surplus on is the fact that uh, again, because of the pandemic and doing less things in person, we're doing more digital and online. Um, we're, we're having to upgrade our equipment in that area. We've, we've always uh, gone the cheapest route in that area because that's never been uh, who we are or what we're about, but we've had to pivot and start to do... By the way, I read somewhere where um, pivot is one of the words that, that nobody wants to hear ever again. Um, so we, we turned this way and started doing more internet and digital stuff. And we've been getting much better at that, but we're going to probably have to upgrade our, our, our technology here. So we'll be spending a little bit of money on that. And then you see that our 2021 budget is for an income of 1150000 And I admit that's very modest considering the numbers that we have up there. But it's modest because, again, of um, you know, the situation that we're, we're in. Uh, some of you know that I, I sort of uh, gleaned from uh, Tom Schrader, one of our founding pastors. Um, he's, he, he, is not, he was not a very optimistic person. He used to describe himself as the person who could found a, find a cloud in every silver lining. And I'm kind of, you know, I was discipled by him. And so, you know, you, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. And so uh, we have a very modest uh, goal for income in, in 2021. Um, we are beginning to recognize, hopefully, after almost 10 months of this pandemic, that this idea that it's going to be over in just two more weeks, that's not going to happen, okay? Have we finally moved on from that idea? I mean, for so long. Even in August, I was still hearing people say, just two more weeks and we'll be fine. Mm, not quite. So um, 
So we're having a little bit more of a modest goal than we might uh, otherwise have for 2021 because of there's uncertainty in the world. But here's what we know. There's always been and always will be uncertainty in the world, but there is certainty in Christ. And so things really haven't changed in that regard. We can still count on Jesus. And so having said all of that, we'll move into this past year, present year thing. Some of you have been through this. You know the drill. We're going to ask, how was 2020? We're going to do a little post-mortem look. We're going to look back at 2020 through two different grids. And then we're going to look at 2021 through yet a third grid. How can we improve 2021? This is something that Tom Schrader did every year in his ministry, both at Priority Living and at East Valley Bible Church, which eventually transitioned into uh, Redemption Church, uh, Gilbert, the Gilbert Congregation. Um, about four or five, I can't remember, it was four or five years ago, I started uh, doing it. I took Tom's outline and sort of adapted it to us a little bit. I thought I would do it one year and just see how it went. And the response to this has been so positive that I've just, I've decided I'm going to just keep doing it until you guys send me enough emails that tell me, just shut it down. We're tired of this. Let's move on to, do the book of Jude. We never get to hear much about Jude. So anyway, but it will be a little bit different this time considering the unique circumstances of 2020, how difficult 2020 has been and how challenging 2021 could be shaping up to be. Um, I mentioned this in a talk, um, a Zoom talk that I gave uh, the beginning of December to a networking group that I'm involved with, to about 100 different people, I said, I just want to caution you that 2020 might just be a warm-up for 2021. That went over like a lead balloon. I guess I wasn't optimistic enough for them. I said, it might, that might be what happened. Maybe not. I'm hoping 2020, I hope tomorrow we wake up and there's no new cases of COVID, right? Yeah, okay. So anyway, um, now, if you will recall, if you were here last year on the first Sunday of 2020, you'll recall that I said, you know, as I evaluate 2019, it was one of the worst years of my life, so much so that I said, I never want to see those numbers, 2019, arranged in that sequence ever again in my life. Well, that did not age very well, because 2019 is looking pretty good to me right now, considering what we've been through in 2021. And there were many disappointments in 2020, but for me... Uh, one that, and you may say, well, that's not that big of a deal. It was, though, kind of for me, and I'll explain why. Um, one that comes to mind quite often is that we were in the middle of our countercultural conviction series when the shutdown occurred. And March 15th was the first Sunday that we were not able to meet as a congregation. And my disappointment about that was that that was the Sunday that Justin Anderson was scheduled to fly in from Seattle to preach a message to us in the midst of that uh, series. Now, some of you are probably saying, well, who is Justin? Redemption Church has two founding pastors. I've already mentioned one of them, Tom Schrader, who was the founder of East Valley Bible Church some 30 years ago, and then 10 years ago, um, East Valley Bible Church merged with another church to become Redemption, and East Valley became Redemption Gilbert. The other church was a church called Praxis, and it was originally Praxis Tempe, but then towards the end of, of uh, before the merger, they added Arcadia as a site, and so it was Praxis Tempe and Arcadia. Justin Anderson was the founding pastor of Praxis. Those two churches merged 10 years ago to become Redemption Church, and so we have two founding pastors. Tom Schrader passed away two years ago. He was personally my spiritual father and, and mentor. Um, Justin Anderson is somebody that I got to know as I came in after he left to plant a church in uh, San Francisco, and he's now 
now in Seattle. Um, I got to know Justin uh, through that transition and also just as a matter of knowing him in the Christian community. So he was one of our founding pastors. And I've said this before. Some of you have heard this before. I want us at Redemption Arcadia to always know and remember each of these men. Uh, Part of the job of a lead pastor is to cast vision. I understand that. But it's also to keep the history of the church. And I want Tom and Justin to be remembered here. And especially as long as Justin is still alive. I will tell you, for me... And I've listened to a lot of different people, and I teach public speaking and communication theory. Tom and Justin are two of the best communicators I've ever heard in my life. And and so just for history's sake, bringing in Justin is good, but also you're going to get really good preaching when Justin uh, comes in. So I was disappointed that he couldn't come uh, in. And so um, we're hoping that once this thing gets kind of righted, we'll be able to uh, bring Justin in. I'm looking forward to that uh, as well. Uh, And again, one of the things we'll do next week when we start John back up is we'll remember it's our 10-year anniversary. By the way, we are going to have cinnamon buns. Stephanie has. So we're doing something for our anniversary. We're going to have cinnamon buns, gloves, and tongs. So we'll be safely distributing the cinnamon buns uh, to everybody. So we will have that next week. And anyway, yes, there were other disappointments. We could list them all. The virus was disappointing. The civil unrest was disappointing. The election season was disappointing. Not the results. I don't want to talk about... Some people are thrilled with the results. Some people are disappointed with the results. I'm saying the election season was disappointing, for me anyway, and here's why. Because of the false god worship that was exposed by so many Christians. So many Christians have made politics their one true god as opposed to Jesus. They give Jesus lip service, but really their faith, trust, and hope is in whoever gets elected or who doesn't get elected. And I would even go so far as to argue this. Some people people would say, well, you know, a lot of people have turned Donald Trump into an idol or a false god, and I would say that's true. And they're lamenting the fact that he's not president anymore. But I've also met many, many people who are worshiping at the altar of never Trump or not Donald Trump. That has become a false god and an idol too. It wasn't that they loved Joe Biden. It's that they hated Donald Trump so much that that has become their god. That that has become their t-shirt. That has become their bumper sticker. That has become their identity. You can have a false god in Donald Trump by hating him or loving him. Either way, Donald Trump has become one of the greatest idols in the history of American Christianity. Isn't that sad? I guess not. Okay. So, maybe that's just a personal disappointment for me anyway. But, in the midst of all of those disappointments, what were some of our victories? What good came from 2020? I think understanding the importance of community and in-person relationships is something that we can glean. Maybe we will not take that for granted in the future. I also think that, you know, this idea of recalibrating how we think about church, you know, um, getting our game on for our digital presence and a stronger focus that we have uh, looked at at Redemption Arcadia for spiritual disciplines for all ages and all demographics. I also think that 2020 was a great year that we could look at and understand the strength, the strength that we were to, able to gain through our trials, through our tribulation. I think 2020 uh, 2020 is the year of James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my beloved, when you encounter trials of various kinds because you know that the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. 
And if you've been around here for any length of time, you know that I always say that word perseverance can also be translated as uh, endurance, uh, as patience, and as steadfastness. And so the trials produce something good. Uh, 2020 could also be called a Romans 5 year because Paul says essentially the same thing in Romans chapter 5. He starts Romans chapter 5 by telling us that we should be glorying and rejoicing in the gospel The good news of Jesus Christ, we should rejoice, we should glory in that. And then in verse 3, he says, but also, we should glory, we should rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, and our perseverance produces character, and and our character produces hope, and that hope will not disappoint because it's a hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we can get that from 2020 as well. And there's more, of course, we could go on and on. Uh, And before I get into those three grids, I know some of you are like, you got more before you get to the grids? I hope you brought a lunch. Anyway, before we get into that, um, I want to make a couple of other remarks on just some observations from 2020 that are relevant. And I think uh, it maybe even, you might feel a bit of a rebuke in this as well. And that's okay. We We need that sometimes. So here you go. Here's the first one. And it would be in the context of the election season that we just went through, which we all knew was going to be very hard and very challenging. But here's one of the things that I found through the election season. I found that the very same people who I hear all the time in the church and outside of the church, I hear this all the time. I'm involved at um, Paradise Valley Community College, and so I hear this all the time in academia. Their theology is that people are basically good. People are good. People are basically good. The world is good. Everything's good. Oh, you just got to find the good in everything. People are basically good. The people whose theology is that people are basically good, I found that they were also the ones who were most vehement about saying, I need my person to be elected or else I will suffer the evil of my political opponents. Whether it was Biden or Trump. They're the same people. Wait a minute. I thought people are basically good. If people are basically good, why do we have such a dedication to politics in order to protect ourselves from people who are apparently not basically good? I think that's a fair question. Why are we so wrapped up in making sure our person gets into office so that we're protected from the evil of others? Here's another example. I'll give you another example. I've been an employee of the Maricopa County Community College District System part-time for 22 years teaching human communication theory at PVCC. Every year, they make you go through an hour-long digital course on security. Uh, mostly it's cybersecurity, but it's, it's, they're very intent on making sure that our information and our records are protected. And I think that's a good thing. What I find ironic about that course, though, is within an hour, six or seven times, the person teaching uh, the course admonishes the employee who is watching the course, you must be suspicious Walk around looking for nefarious activity by people who wish to do us harm. Six or seven times in an hour, be suspicious. Be on the lookout. But why? Why? One, One of the areas where this theology of people are basically good is most prevalent is in academia. They teach it top down. They teach it in math classes. They teach it in biology. They teach it everywhere. People are basically good. My theological position in academia, is generally mocked. 
The idea that people are sinful and that we need a savior, people laugh in my face at that idea. They think it's, no, you're all wrong. You're so negative. People are basically good. So why? I don't get, honestly, I don't get it. It just seems contradictory to me. People preach that people are basically good and then they live their lives as though people are really sinful. Isn't that right? Okay. Here's the problem. And I know some of you are like, oh, Frank, don't use the word problem. Use challenge or opportunity. No, here's the problem. Okay? It's obvious that everyone knows that people are not basically good. That's just obvious by the way we behave. We know something is wrong with the world and that people are the primary problem. So, everyone is looking for an answer or a philosophy. That's a philosophy that people are basically good. It's a philosophy that people try to live by. They don't do a very good job of it. So they're looking for an answer. What they're looking for is an idol, a god. And almost always it's a false god. But there is only one true god, one true savior. That is the story of the Bible. That's the biblical narrative. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates a good, holy, and perfect creation. Genesis 3 is our willful sin and rebellion against a good, holy, and perfect God and his good, holy, and perfect creation. And and then Genesis 4 on until Revelation, uh, the end of Revelation is all about how that sin has corrupted everything. Everything. It's corrupted our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with the very creation that he's given us. And it points out our need to be delivered from that corruption. We need a savior. And scripture also tells us about our desire to find any other savior other than God in the midst of this wicked and desperate corruption. We chase false gods all the time. And the ease scripture shows us with which we turn to false gods and idols and turn away from the one true God. Paul writes in Ephesians 5 that we are to seek God in his wisdom. We are to seek to be filled and influenced by the Holy Spirit and nothing else. Why? He says, because the days are evil. And his argument in Ephesians 5, go and read it. It's right before all that marriage stuff that we get all wound up about, okay? What he argues there is that if you're trying to navigate an evil, corrupt, and sinful world without the wisdom and the will of God, you are a fool. That's what he says. The wise person lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The wise person is seeking God's will and wisdom. Here you go. Consider King David. King David, Old Testament, greatest king in the history of Israel. Really well known even by people who uh, don't ever go to church or read the Bible. And and everybody knows David's worst sin, right? His worst sin was... It's actually a combination of two things. It was adultery and murder, Bathsheba and Uriah, right? No, you knew it was a trick question, right? It's not his worst sin. Read your Bibles. In 1 Chronicles 21, what's 1 Chronicles, some of you are asking? Is that a book? Yes, there is a 1 Chronicles, which means there's also a 2 Chronicles. We don't usually read those books, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David took a census. A census? Really? David's biggest sin? Why would a census be his biggest sin? David took the census in order to find out how big his military was. And the reason was because he was looking for worldly, political, and military power to put his faith and security in, instead of the one true God that he knows and knew was his true faith and security. But he 
he was starting to turn away from God. He wanted to take a census. He wanted to put his faith in, his, in how many fighting men he had, how many chariots he had, how many horses of war that he had. God tells David, he says, I'm the Lord, your Savior, and your provider. If you take this census, it'll tell me that you have a false god. David did it anyway. And check it out. 70,000 people died as a result of him taking that census. 70,000 people died as a consequence, a direct result of him taking that census. David's greatest sin was not adultery or murder. It was idolatry. And that's our greatest sin in America. It's idolatry. And in fact, it's the greatest sin in the evangelical church in America. Idolatry. Where we should know better. People are not basically good. We're sinful. And we need a supernatural intervention from God to save us. And be thankful that he's willing to do that in Jesus. So here's the second observation. This one I can get really wound up about. The pandemic and the civil unrest that we had in 2020 gave people in the church, I'm talking about in the church now, I'm not talking about people outside of the church, I'm talking about in the church, Big C Church, the American Christian Church. The pandemic and civil unrest gave people in the church more opportunity to not talk about Jesus and the gospel. For most of us, and I'm not talking just about Arcadia, but the church in general, as I said, for most of us, Church has become just another place to air our personal preferences and political grievances and be distracted from the reality of our need for the good news of Jesus. And really, I think the challenge for us is, is, is this idea that, that we, know, you know, we know who Jesus is, and we, we say, you know, Jesus is great, he's cool, he's fine. But there's always a but. Yes, Jesus, but Trump... Oh, we just need four more years of Trump and then everything will be set right. Or no, no, we got to get back on track. We got to get rid of Trump. We need even, it doesn't matter, Biden, Harris, get somebody else in there. We got to get, yes, Jesus, but Biden. Okay? Yes, Jesus, but science. Yes, Jesus, but justice. Yes, Jesus, but me. The real challenge is for us to admit our need and submit to the fact that we are not enough. We need God's graceful and loving intervention in our lives. I've said this a few times, probably needs to be said more. I think we'll look back on 2020 and realize it was the year that the church was sifted and pruned. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We are being sifted by adversity and tribulation and some people are finding the life of faith way too hard. That's the parable of the, of the soils that Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew. And we are also being pruned of the, and I hate to use this word, but it, 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 it fits. We are being pruned of the deadwood, those who really do not believe. God is at work on the deadwood, deadwood those who, when it really just comes right down to it, they believe something else. And the result will be a smaller but more faithful church. Is that such a bad thing? a smaller but more faithful church. And yes, we're still going to proclaim the gospel. We're still going to be outwardly focused. We're still going to invite people to Jesus. But we're going to be leaner and meaner, meaner in a good way. Okay? So let's get on with it. More quickly than in the past, I know you're thinking, I hope so. You've got three grids. But let's honestly evaluate and then consider adjustments. Here's how we usually start this process. In your own mind, answer this question. 
uh, how was 2020 for you? And that usually leads to follow-up questions, and they usually are something like this. Did you make more money in 2020 than in 2019? That's usually a grit. Not did you keep it, because if anything Americans have proven, we know how to acquire debt. Amen? Okay? Not did you keep it. We don't want to look at that. Just did we make more. That's the, that's the one we want to know. Did we make more in 2020? Here's the second one. Did you improve your position or enhance your career? Did you get a promotion? Did you get a raise? Did you get to move somewhere interesting? The number of people who want to move to Tennessee right now is mind-boggling. It's fascinating. And, and I mean just in general for the last couple of years. Every time somebody leaves Arizona, it's like, where are you going? I'm heading to Memphis. I'm heading to Nashville. I'm heading to Knoxville, Chattanooga, anywhere but here. That's what I hear from them. You know? uh, here's the third one. Did you increase your influence over others? This is about whether or not you acquired more st- power and status. Okay? And then this fourth one. This was Tom's favorite. He loved this. Did you cause envy or jealousy in others? Were you, in 2020, were you the reason for someone else's discontent? Yeah! Well, that's the world, and there's other questions we'd ask too. You get the idea. That's the world's way to evaluate. So he would say, uh, get a scale of 1 to 10, and then get in your mind a number on that scale. How was 2020 based on that criteria? Was it a 5? Was it a 6? Was it a 9? Good for you. Was it a 2? You're a very spiritual person, obviously. Okay. Well, we have a different way, I think a better way to evaluate, different criteria. And by the way, if you want, um, we have more slides today than probably the rest of the year combined. If you want to take pictures of the slides, that's fine. But here you go. Let's, let's uh, evaluate 2020 through this grid of five questions. First of all, did you recognize the importance of self-evaluation? Paul writes in Galatians, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions and not others. Here you go. Quit looking at and judging other people's behavior and start looking at your own through the grid of Christ. Each one should test their own actions, not others, so they can then find fulfillment in their own walk without comparing themselves to anyone else. That's hard for us to do. It's called the social comparison process. If you're somebody who really needs uh, affirmation, you'll walk, around, you'll walk around the gym and look at somebody doing a, a bench press wrong and feel better about yourself. But if you're somebody who's like Eeyore, who likes looking at people who are better than you, you'll go find pe- people who are better than you, and then you'll feel bad about yourself. All of it is about you and self-esteem and pride, though. The problem is, is you need to be looking at yourself. Okay? And this, this whole, in, in the church, the American Christian I'm more spiritual than you are because of my passion. Arrogance is alive and well today. It's just fascinating to me. The internal arguments and fights that people have in church about, I'm more spiritual than you because my ministry is more impactful than you. Have you just forgotten 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul explains to us that we're a body? We need eyes and ears. We need hands and feet. We need elbows and knees. We need calf muscles. We even need biceps. We're a body. There there is no arrogance to be derived in your passion or your ministry being better than somebody else. In 2020, we heard this say, you need to check your privilege. No, I would argue that in the church, we need to check our spiritual arrogance. Here's number two. In 2020... 
Did you understand the value of your time? I think we make two mistakes with time. Number one, we don't value it enough. Time is more valuable than money. You can just ask anybody on their deathbed and they'll tell you that. And number two, we also don't realize how often time is actually our friend and not our foe. We, we, we treat time like it's the enemy. Very often it's actually our friend. It's, it's something that's going to help us. It's amazing how often we think we need to move fast when in reality moving slow is better for us and we have more time than we think. Uh, Psalm 90 which is a psalm that is a lament psalm about the trouble that we find ourselves in this world and the sin that we have to endure. In the midst of that psalm, the author prays that God would teach us to number our days correctly, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God equates understanding time with gaining a heart of wisdom. Wisdom. So a good question to ponder is this. Will we spend our time or will we invest it? We often forget that time is the only resource for which we are all allotted the exact same amount. Nobody has an advantage in that. We all get 168 hours a week. So the challenge isn't how can I get more time than others, but will I use my time more wisely than others? Here's number three. Did your victories exceed your defeats? I've said this many times before. I continue to see it. I think Christians are some of the worst at recognizing and celebrating victories. We're really good at pointing out how bad things are, but we need to be better about celebrating our victories. And I think part of the reason we're not so good at that is because we lack gratitude for much of what we do have. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, what Aaron read today, I have fought the good fight. You know, Paul lost a lot. He had a lot of losses in the loss column. But he always recognized and celebrated victories. Number four, did you finish well? Most of you know I'm a runner. I love running. I've been running for 48 years. And I love it even though I'm not very good at it anymore. When you hit your 60s, you're usually not very good at athletic prowess anymore. But one thing about my running, even today, I always start and run both races and workouts with the finish in mind. The whole idea is to finish. To get to the finish line. It's Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 when he says the end of something is better than the beginning. And that finishing well is more important than getting a fast start. You know, anyone can start a race. The question is who's there at the finish line? Again, Paul in 2 Timothy says, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And number five, did you anticipate the return of Christ? It's a big part of what Advent is all about, which we just went through. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then, of course, Jesus in Revelation chapter 22, he says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So now, using those five as your criteria, what did 2020 look like? Maybe you were a two, now you're a seven. Maybe you were a seven, now you're a two. It's interesting how the grid and criteria change the outcome. But here's what we also need to do. We need to remember what Paul says in Philippians 3. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on. 
Now, we don't forget 2020 in the sense that we don't take with us the lessons that we've learned. But where we failed, where we didn't do well, we forget that because we know in Christ we can press on and things can be better. So consider using this as your guide for 2021. Here's the first thing. Work to improve relationships. We probably need this now more than ever before in the midst of the pandemic guidelines and shutdowns. This is not even optional for us. And here you go. You need to be the one to make the first move. You need to make the first move. The person who sits around and says, nobody wants to befriend me, nobody reaches out, nobody calls me, nobody texts me, nobody dings me on Facebook, nobody, nobody even looks at my tweets. Okay, you need to become the person that you're complaining about. You need to start going out and making the first move. You need to start texting, calling, emailing, dinging, whatever it is. Be the person that you want other people to be. You'll be amazed at how many friends you end up. Paul writes uh, at the beginning of his second letter to Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy was not Paul's biological son, but he was a spiritual son. And I would never compare Tom and myself to Paul and Timothy, but I will tell you, that there was a relationship between Tom and I had, that, that we had that is similar to this. Tom was willing to call me his beloved child because I grew up under him in his discipleship. And so I identify with this as well. And we had to work at that relationship. We had to pick up the phone. In the old days, we had to drive places to be able to see each other. Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as, my, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Here's what I get out of this. Paul is not sitting on his spiritual duff. He's writing letters, he's praying for people, and he longs to see them, and not through a screen. Here's the second thing. Desire an increase in freedom. Honestly, whatever you're serving and worshiping that isn't God, you're in bondage. And we all will worship and serve something. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're worshiping and serving something else. Don't make the mistake of worshiping the wrong thing. Break those chains and come to Jesus. That's where true freedom is. Again, here's Paul in 1 Corinthians, and I'm using the message here because I like the way it's, uh, Eugene Peterson has translated this. God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. Brothers and sisters, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. Here's number three. Consider your passion and zeal. Is it for Jesus in the gospel? I'm just going to read to you the first uh, four and a half, four four verses of Romans chapter nine. Paul writes, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's taking an oath with God as he writes this. He says, here's what I'm speaking the truth about. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'll give up my salvation and my eternity with Jesus in the new Jerusalem if my brothers and sisters could be saved. 
That's passion for the gospel. He goes right at the good news of Jesus Christ. He goes right at Jesus. And he says this, he's keeping the main thing the main thing. I'll give up my salvation if others can be saved. It's incredible. Number four, expand your perspective. This text I'm going to use here, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, I, I could teach for an hour on. It's one of my favorite texts. I'll give you just a taste. Paul writes, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge and all discernment. That word discernment could be translated wisdom. Knowledge and all discernment. He doesn't say, My prayer is that your love would abound more and more with feelings and emotion. You know, we've trivialized love in our culture today. We fall in and fall out of love so quickly. We don't even know what genuine gospel love is. Paul says it's about knowledge and wisdom. And he says the reason is because this kind of gospel-centered love is that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Imagine having that kind of love in your relationships with other people. A love that's filled with righteousness. We should stop looking at the world and our own lives through the world's grid and expectations and adopt a solid biblical worldview and perspective. Expand our perspective. One that values biblical wisdom and love. Here's number five. We, need, we all need a commitment to a strengthening of spirit. Again, our pastoral staff, as we gather every week for our weekly pastors meeting, that's Tyler, Tyler, Trey, and myself, uh, one of the things we talked about in December is, is how we still need more prayer at Redemption Arcadia. We've improved. We are doing more prayer, but we're, we're not satisfied. We still need more prayer. We believe that prayer and faith community are two of the best ways to, to gain strengthening in the spirit. I mean, consider how often Paul prayed in his prayers. He wrote out prayers to the people he was writing. And consider how often Jesus would go and pray. Jesus didn't need prayer. He was God. He prayed all the time. And then I'm adding one this year. We've never had six before. But I'm adding one because it seems to have become an even bigger problem than it was in the past. And it's been a problem in the past. And in fact, in the last five years, we've had sociologists and psychologists starting to write books about the problems that a culture of victimhood is bringing on us now. Everybody wants to see themselves as a victim, and we're all trying to one-up each other in how much of a victim we are in this world. So number six, 2021 could be a great year if we don't paint ourselves as a victim. And I know 2020 is a year where we could all say, hey, I was a victim in 2020. The pandemic, the election, the civil unrest, the deaths on video, the great mask controversy of 2020, all of it bad, but don't fall into the trap of playing the victim. And I'll be as transparent as I can here, and I'm not whining. Please understand that. I'm just making an observation. As a pastor, I meet with lots and lots of people, and I love doing that. It's my job. And I want to do it. I'm not just somebody who preaches, but I shepherd as well. But the vast majority of my meetings are generally people coming and saying, I have a grievance, I'm offended, and there's an injustice. This person did this, this situation, God is against me, uh, my friends are against me, my family is against me, my work is against me, my boss is against me, my employees are against me, my church is against me, everybody, my, my spouse is certainly against me. 
Everybody's against me, okay? And I'm not responsible. It's, it's all them and not me. I'm a victim here, and I have victim after victim, victim situation after victim situation. It's just victim, 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 victim. Okay, I get that. And you should be able to unpack that with your pastor, okay? But you might imagine how eventually that can wear on somebody. <laughs> Last month, I had a really refreshing breakfast with somebody. Somebody who's been coming to our church for about a year. Um, I would say mid to late 40s. Uh, moved uh, here from another uh, a city about a year ago, he was introduced to me by a mutual friend, and he started coming, uh, he and his family started coming to this church. Now, that was a year ago, so he's actually been here in person maybe 12 times, but he's, he's watching us on the YouTube, on the, uh, on the live stream and everything. And he invited me out to breakfast last month. We're having breakfast about halfway into the breakfast. He said, Frank, I want to ask you a question. And of course, you know, <laughs> I thought, oh boy, here it comes, you know. Um, he said, I said, okay, go ahead. He said, I want to get your take on 2020. You know, the pandemic, the political climate, the election, the civil unrest. He said, what do you think God is doing? And how can we reconstruct ourselves to fit the new narratives that God has for us? I was so blown away by this question, by this guy that I didn't speak for about a minute. And he finally said, are you okay? Is something wrong? Did I say something wrong? And I said, no, I'm really just sort of enjoying the moment. That you're somebody who's coming in the midst of, and by the way, he's had a rough year. He's coming and saying, I'm not a victim. I'm trying to figure out what God is doing and what God's purpose and mission is for me and how I am being transformed in the midst of that instead of trying to transform others and transform God. And I was just blown away by that perspective. And one of the things I thought immediately is this is a person who has a heart of gratitude. He's not looking at life through the grid of what I don't have and how I've had injustices committed against me. He's looking at his life through the grid of look at what I do have an amazing wife, amazing kids, amazing family. And by the way, they're not that amazing. Nobody has a me. All right? We're all sinners, right? Some of you laughing a little more than others. Okay. I get that. But he's, he's looking at it through a completely different grid and saying, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to figure out what God has for me in the midst of this. That was a gospel-centered question, and I really enjoyed that. Don't be a victim in 2021. Don't paint yourself as a victim. Well, the last thing that we usually do on this Sunday is, again, something that I'm, I started because Schrader used to do this, and I'm always amazed that people actually come up and say, I wrote down every book, and then at the end of the year, I read every book. And so, okay, um, and you suck as a reviewer. No, um, <laughs> here you go. Here, here's what I read this last year that I think was really good. Um, and this year, I'm adding a, a category. I, I, I discovered two authors in 2020 that are this fantastic. First one is Hampton Sides. Anybody ever read any Hampton Sides? Anybody? Okay, unbelievable. I, he's got seven or eight books. I've read three of them. Uh, I've read In the, Kingdom, uh, In the Kingdom of Ice. This is a book. This sounds really boring. I was mesmerized by this book. This is a book about... 
um, the USS Jeanette's voyage in the early 1880s to try to navigate a way to the North Pole. No human had ever been to the North Pole yet in the 1880s, and they thought they had figured out a way through the Bering Strait. And it's the story of the Jeanette uh, trying to get up to the North Pole, which they didn't make a fascinating book. He wrote a book called Ghost Soldiers about... um, uh, uh, towards the end of World War II, freeing those who were involved in the Death March of Bataan. Fascinating. Uh, maybe the most interesting one was the third one that I read, Hellbound on His Trail. It's uh, a book that uh, chronicles the search for and the eventual capture of James Earl Ray, the man who um, murdered Martin Luther King. Again, every, the detail that he had was just fascinating in this. I couldn't put it down. And then uh, the other author is Jeff Ginn. Uh, Jeff Ginn writes um, really uh, difficult, I guess what you would say, biography. So he has written the definitive biography on Charles Manson, and I read that. I've read, some of you know, I've read Helter Skelter five times. Helter Skelter is 700 pages by Vincent Bugliosi on the trial of Charles Manson. In Ginn's book on, on Manson, he has one very long chapter on the trial, and it's very good, but the rest of the book is about the life of Charles Manson, his parents, his grandparents, everything. It was really interesting. He also wrote a book on Jim Jones. Anybody know who Jim Jones was? And Jonestown and Jonestown, Guyana. That was, that was maybe the most interesting one for me, um, especially because I, I got some really good pointers on how to become a cult leader in that. So, um, By the way, notice we've never had Kool-Aid here. So it's really good, but really interesting book. And then uh, he wrote a book about Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, the biography of, Clyde, of Bonnie and Clyde. By the way, they weren't called Bonnie and Clyde until the 1967 movie, Um, that sort of popularized them. They were known as the Clyde Barrow Gang. Um, And his book on Bonnie and Clyde were uh, kind of the basis for that movie, The Highwaymen, if anybody saw that. It was a Netflix uh, movie. So those two authors. And then here you go. Two books, I would argue, are must-reads. If you read nothing else in a church context this year, read these two books. The first one is Analog Church by Jay Kim. I just finished that one. Really fantastic read. I really appreciate Uh, what Jay had to say in that book. And here you go, in in case you're wondering, here's the subtitle of the book. Why why the church needs real people, real places, and real things. So that'll give you an idea of where he goes with this. And he's right. The church should never be just an internet church. It should be a tool. But the church needs to be in person. And he lays out the case very, very well. And I appreciate that. The second one, that you, you just got it is Finding Truth by Nancy Piercy. Now, last year, one of my top two books was another Nancy Piercy book called Love Thy Body. This book is actually kind of the prequel to Love Thy Body. I didn't even know about it until 2020. And when I heard about it, I ordered it immediately and read it. And let me tell you something. I'm at a point now where I would add Nancy Piercy as an author in the top. I'd just say, whatever Nancy Piercy writes, you need to read. But Finding Truth was absolutely fantastic as well. And then five others, just to let you know. Tim Keller's Making Sense of God, very helpful. Uh, Rod Dreher wrote a book, came out, uh, it came out September 29th. Myself and a friend in Columbus, Aaron Bear, started reading it together, long distance together, on September 30th, and then we unpacked it together as we read it. Really, really helpful uh, book. And in fact, since that book has come out, Dreher's being quoted in many essays now. Uh, that I'm reading. And then if you want a few books that are not so much theology or church business, 
Uh, this book called American Kingpin, I have a special place in my heart for real crime, if you haven't noticed. I love real crime stuff. This is, this is real crime at its best. American Kingpin by Nick Bilton uh, is the story of the man who built what they called the Amazon of the dark web. He had a website on the dark web that was considered the Amazon. You could find anything you wanted in the dark web uh, on his website on the dark web. And it's the story of how all of these uh, federal agencies came together to seek and find this guy and be able to prosecute him and put him uh, in jail. Uh, he eventually had to commit some murders even to be able to keep his website uh, going, which, by the way, it, it, now I'm now an expert on the dark web. If you need any help with that, you can talk to me about that as well. Really fascinating book. Um, the Splendid and the Vile, another Eric Larson book. Some of you know I'm a big Eric Larson fan. That's the book about the first um, year of Churchill's uh, being the Prime Minister of England, dealing with uh, all the raids over uh, England that Germany was doing. Fascinating. And then Malcolm Gladwell, who's always a favorite of mine, uh, his book, Talking to Strangers. His book originally came out in audio because he wanted it to be a podcast, a long podcast. And so I listened to it. And by the way, that's how I would recommend that you, quote, read this book, is do the audio of it. Uh, really fascinating stuff, really helpful. So that's it. Uh, have a great 2021. We're going to pray and we're going to sing one more song and we're going to take communion together. Lord God, we do thank you for who you are and that ultimately, no matter what happens in what happened in 2020 and what happens in 2021, we know that you are our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer, and we can find uh, faith and trust and grace, forgiveness in you. So remind us of that. We pray that we would take the lessons from 2020, learn from those, forget everything else, and that we would press on into 2021 and make it the best year that we've ever had. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the things in Jay Kim's book, Analog Church, that he points out that was like so obvious and yet I'd never understood it before, is he says at one point, he says, you know, when Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, he says, as often as we take the bread and drink the wine, the body and the blood of Christ, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. And so what the Lord's Supper encompasses is the present, the past, and the future. What we are doing in the present memorializes what has happened in the past and gives us our hope and confidence for what comes in the future. That's a beautiful thing. And so when Jesus did it, he was doing it in the presence and recognizing that there has to be death for sin and understanding that he's going to come again. And now when we do it, we do the same thing. We celebrate our redemption from sin in this moment. We look back at the sacrificial death of Jesus, and we put our confidence in the fact that he's coming again. So let's do that right now. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, Does rave the house in vain? Its builders strive to you.
tomorrow's gain tell me what is your life a mist that vanishes at dawn oh glory be to Christ oh glory be to Christ our King oh glory be to Christ his rule and reign will ever sing
Again, thank you for being here with us today and worshiping with us. Two things about next Sunday. We're restarting Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, if you want to read ahead. Uh, read ahead and there's going to be cinnamon buns. So come prepared to eat a cinnamon bun, all right? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore, but especially in 2021. God bless you all. Have a great week. Go and live all of life all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.